Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dylan. Hello and welcome once again to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie and I like Bowie. I'm Jake and I love Dylan. Today we're dialing way back to Ooh. the long ago time and place of wait. A year is not a place, just a time. <laughs> of yeah. uh, 1966. We haven't done the 60s in a while because no. we just haven't done the 60s in a while. Uh, but we are today. And as everyone knows, the 60s were a golden era for David Bowie or David Jones during his time. Not in which he was an unstoppable hit-making machine <laughs> of incredible cultural relevance that stands to this day. While Dylan sat on his butt and released mediocre singles. That's yeah. how it went. Exactly like that. Right, I Jake? Think, I think you have some information wrong, but that's it's it's close. You're close. It's hard to say what what I might have gotten wrong. You may there, have... Right? Uh, wait, I got it. You may have switched David Bowie and Bob Dylan. I'm pretty sure. Uh, that's something no. I would do, Jake. I think you're wrong. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to swing things over on to Jake to hey. talk about the middling, unimportant stuff that Dylan did in 1966, which was not important for him whatsoever. No, not at all. And which he did not release any cultural touchstones nope. that resonate to the current day. No good albums. That's that was basically his motto in 1966. He's like, hey, all of the, all of the 60s, really. Hey guys, no good albums this year. Hey, I'm not gonna release any albums. I'm not gonna do release. that. Why would I do that? Hey, <laughs> our Dylan impressions are amazing. <laughs> hey. They disintegrated really, really quickly. Past, pretty much past the word E. I think I, even though I don't know if that's something he said a lot, but e. he, well, he might have. You know, I think when I'm singing Dylan, I can do a good impression, but the talking, the talking, it's much, not. it's much better than your Bowie singing impression. I'll just, I'll, I'll, Bowie doesn't but Bowie, he's less distinctive. He's, you know? he's much less. Well, who's more distinctive than Bob Dylan? Yeah, I know. Pretty much nobody. And also as famous, especially in 1966. Hey, Chaz, I have a relevant question for you. Yeah. All uh, right. I like relevant questions. Okay. Because. What beer are you drinking right now? Uh, I'm listening. Drinking a Bauhaus. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of it? Wonder Wonder stuff. Wonder. It's Wonder something. Is I this, can't remember. Is this still the same 12 pack that you've had for the last six months? <laughs> well, not six months, but um, since the last episode, yes. Okay. It's the, all right. Last episode, I just bought it, and this episode, I'm just finishing it up. Okay. Uh, in we like re- the two weeks in between, so well, that, that's reasonable. I, I got about a six or in between that. So we you know. did we did record yesterday, so that's twelve. <laughs> twelve in one day, uh, twenty four hours uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just said it was two weeks. I'm gonna stand by that. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay, I'm drinking uh, something called Wonderland Trail India Pale Ale. Ooh, that rhymes. From Two Beers Brewing Company in Seattle, Washington. And All right. Bauhaus is based out of, I believe, Minneapolis. It's the Twin Cities. One of, one of the two of them. I'm pretty sure it's Minneapolis. My beer is delicious. I don't know about yours. Mine's good. It's good. It's delicious. All yes. Right. Cheers yeah, to my... you before I get started on this All right. important year. And remember, obscure beer companies in the cities that we live in, mm. uh, you can or, sponsor us or something. Give us beer, and we'll mention you in our podcast. Uh, also, geographical locations. Anywhere in the Pacific Apparently Northwest anyway. for me. Anywhere in the Midwest for Chaz. 
Uh-huh. That stretches to Montana, by the way. <laughs> Which is right where Washington State picks up. And as far south as Texas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Chaz, I got a question mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. This, this actually is relevant. All right, uh, picture yourself. You're a hapless, uh, you know, probably guy in his late 20s, early 30s. You're perusing a record store, and you're actually uh-huh. in the movie High Fidelity. And now you're going to picture me, and I'm Jack Black, uh, the uh-huh. character played by Jack Black. And here's what I say to you. Are you picturing it? You're, you're, I'm you look, it. You look I'm befuddled. Br- because I'm vaguely remembering this part of the movie. I you're, not, right now. Go. you're not cool, but here's what, here's what i got to say to you. You don't have it? That is perverse. Don't tell anybody you don't own effing blonde on blonde. <sighs> it's going to be okay. I would like to point out, Jake, that I do honestly own Blonde on Blonde. Oh, you do own Blonde on Blonde? It's, it's one of the two Dylan albums I own. So the other one must be Highway 61 Revisited. Yeah, it is. It you is. can't even bother to get the rest of the trilogy, can nope. you, Chaz? Can't. You should, You don't own Ziggy Stardust, so... Let's I know, just, that is you know, weird. I, I have let's it on... Let's just hold off. Let's just take a step back here, Whoa, okay? whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody, chill out. Okay? Everybody be cool. I have, like, some weird deluxe edition of it on my iTunes, but that's... Who knows the, the legality of that whole situation? <laughs> I know the legality of that. It's illegal. <laughs> it's illegal, but nobody cares anymore. They've stopped. <laughs> they've stopped throwing people in jail for downloading songs online. Oh, for downloading stuff like 15 years ago and figuring that they still have it. All right, uh, I got a I got a multiple choice question for you. Here we go. Um, okay. Uh, who? The question is who must get stoned? A. <laughs> a. You. B. Uh-huh. Me. C. Some of people, D, most people, or E, everybody. Everybody must get stoned. Everybody must get stoned. (laughs) Hey, rainy day women number 12 and number 35. I'm just like a pig in, I'm like a pig in poop with blonde on blonde chance. I, I can't even explain myself. There's just so much. I just love it so much. We're like five minutes into the podcast. You're already completely off the rails. Oh, I'm totally off the rails. I don't know how to explain Blonde on Blonde to you or anybody else, Chez. I need at least six more beers in order for this to, to work. <laughs> so everyone who owns it, <sighs> pause and just go listen to it. If you don't, pause and go stream it somewhere. I submit. With, with limited commercial interruption I from your friends at Spotify. I submit that... You don't even have to listen to it. All you have to do is take it out, if you own it, and just stare at Bob on the cover. <laughs> because he's so cool, and he's looking into your soul. He's so hip. <laughs> you can't and I, don't, I don't have it sitting next to me. It's, down, it's downstairs. All right. I don't feel like getting up. Uh, I'm just going to start with Blonde, Blonde on Blonde. And I'm going to tell you, Chaz, this is my favorite Bob Dylan album, and it's my favorite album of all time. <laughs> wow. I feel like there should be, you know, wow. some kind of celebration. Like I mean, that. that's, yeah, I know. It's a big, fat DVD award right here. <laughs> it's a huge DVD Your award. Your favorite Dylan. Like, we've been, we, we were saying, we've kind of been, like, dancing around some of these super important years. And this is one of them we've been dancing yeah. around with. But we're we're halfway through this here podcast, and we got to, I know. You know, we, we can't dance around forever. Approach. Also, Chaz, I just want you to know that I see you. I see what you're doing to me. You have been picking years in which all of Bob Dylan's good albums are being discussed, like, all in a row. So I'm not going to have any good albums left what? after i don't even know what you're talking about yeah, but okay. i see you i see you cool it's all good all right let's just talk about <laughs> let's just talk about blonde on blonde uh, yeah I'm, I'm ready for that okay it debuted day. it's a double album it was one of the first yeah. rock double albums 
Uh, number nine in the U.S., number four in the U.K., it went two times platinum. It has only gained... It was really cool when it came out, and it was really popular. Um, it was the height of Bob Dylan's 60s fame. Uh, it ended up being number six on Pitchfork's Best Albums of the 60s list, which came out last mm-hmm. year. Okay, yeah. Uh, number one, of course. What's the most Pitchfork album of the 60s that you can imagine? It's not a David Bowie one. That's, David Bowie's 1967 album that no one cares about. That's David not Bowie. true. That's not true. What do you think it is, though? What's the most Pitchfork... 60s album that you can think being well, number Velvet Underground. Absolutely. Velvet Underground. Absolutely. Hey, give yourself a round of applause. Nah, I think I, va- I vaguely remember that from the list. Oh, but right. even still, I, th- I think I would have still gotten there, even on my own. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty Velvet Underground, you know, relevant, cool, right. so obnoxiously, incredibly cool. So hip. It's so Much cool. like Bob Dylan in 66. Like, you want to be annoyed about how cool they are, but you can't because it's just so cool. Yeah. And it. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a pitchfork deal. Uh, it was number two. Uh, blonde on Blonde, that is. Number two on Rolling Stone's 500 Best Albums Ever. I didn't bother to see wow. what was number one. I'm sure it was... I'm, sure I'm pretty it, sure it's... Uh, I remember that list. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Sgt. Pepper, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. That's what I was going to say, too. All right, Bob Dylan recorded Blonde on Blonde. I thought Pet Sounds was number two, though. I don't remember at all. <clears throat> I'm making all this up. Well, they Pet changed, was up there. They changed like, it. All, like, their top ten were all from the 60s, I swear. Well, that's when Rolling Stone was less relevant. I know. Sure. I know. <laughs> That whole list just seemed a little, like, you know, skewed. It's like, how many, uh... The late 60s and early 70s and nothing else. And it's also all white male rockers. Oh, yeah. White male rockers from the late 60s. Boom. We're pretty much guaranteed a spot at the top. Boom. In it. (laughs) Is Uh, name your band the Beatles, all of your albums are in the top 500. Every single one. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, Blonde on Blonde was largely recorded during two five-day breaks from uh, the Judas Tour, which we are going to be talking about no i'm sorry no i'm sorry this wasn't the judas tour there was this was in 1965 and 1966 um i mean i've been yelling judas for 32 episodes and it'd be great if we actually were on the year well no we we are but i i had my information wrong about when he recorded the album he was on break from his other his american tour which he also got booed but i don't think anyone called him judas so that's okay well that's the tour where no one compare using a you know plugged in guitar with Betraying right. the Lord of, of yeah, yeah not, okay. not quite yet. Leave that to the Brits, basically. Not yet. Leave that to the Brits. You to leave make that, that to the Brits. You know. uh, the 1965 tour is the one where he toured American stadiums because he was super popular all of a sudden, and they <gasps> would they would boo him until he started playing like a Rolling Stone, and then they would cheer, and that was because <laughs> he had the number one single or the number it's two or whatever song. it was. It's a good song. <laughs> That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Yes, it's all right. All right. Yes. Bob Dylan went uh, to Nashville to record Blonde on Blonde, and he and his producer, Bob Johnston, uh, used crack Nashville musicians to fill out mm, his They ran that with cocaine. Yeah, no, they crack did not. Cocaine. No, there was there was many other drugs involved, but I don't think crack cocaine even... Did crack exist? Yeah, no, I don't think crack cocaine existed yet. Crack wasn't cocaine, a thing. sure, but I don't think crack cocaine existed until, like, the 80s. It seems like a very 80s drug, you know? Oh, definitely. Inner city... Yeah. Inner city rug, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we used it in Wisconsin all the time. In rural Wisconsin, yeah. sure, but yeah, but we were also making it ourselves in our bathtub. So, <laughs> and that was you know into the late nineties, well past Cracks Peak. Boom. I mean, we that was, were that was that's when it reached Wisconsin. We're like, <laughs> much like all the cool music and fashion. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, <laughs> them, them and the cure. That was what we were the doing. Cure, the cure just floated on in on a raft of crack. Disintegration <laughs> made it there in 1997. <laughs> For 10 years <laughs> after. Long crack <laughs> Crack and the cure. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, don't sell us short, Chaz. We were, like, on the cutting edge of meth, okay? <laughs> Way out of your meth. It's true. One. Well, I'd like to share a story about a younger brother who worked at a fireworks store in rural Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. And observed one of the largest um, meth busts in Wisconsin history mm-hmm. across the street from the place where he worked. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot it, was of... the largest in, it was the largest in county history, if I remember him telling me right. But then again, he may have made that up. He may have but made I know a, it, was, it was huge. He, he may have he made up the sometimes. entire thing. And I can say that because he does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> and we'll never know what we said. He this. doesn't know what a podcast is. He doesn't use a computer. <laughs> as as I can tell. Last Christmas, we were like, hey, why don't you just dial us up an iTunes playlist? And he's like, I don't know how to use iTunes. <laughs> so... Uh, so he'll be listening oh. to he'll, he'll be listening to The Cure pretty soon. Any day now. <laughs> it's coming up. It may have reached him. Hard to say. <laughs> Uh, so here's what Dylan said about the sound of Blonde on Blonde, which is very uniform. It's, it's rockin', but it's also folky, but it's uh-huh. also like the once and future king of rock and roll albums. He says... It's got, it's got a bounce to it. It's got a bounce to it. It's, there's a lot of blues on there. Um, the closest I ever got to the sound I hear in my mind was on the Blonde on Blonde album. It's that thin... Oh, it's that thin, that wild mercury sound. That thin, wild mercury sound. It's metallic and bright gold with whatever that conjures up. That's my particular sound. So the so, little, the little aside I can see there. That. That, I'm assuming that's a, a Dylan quote right there. It is, not yeah. you talking about. No, no, yeah. that's a Dylan quote. Uh, the yeah. thin, no, wild. I can, I can see all that. Thin, well, wild mercury sound. Sounds ridiculous, but no, I can see that. And uh, it was he. He created it with some combination of electric guitar, organ, and harmonica. All these kind of like really bright yeah. instruments. So it has uh-huh. it has some nice uh, the drummer and the bassist and everything. Like they are all they're all killing it on this album. Um, he didn't have material written for it really. Okay. So he, he improvised the entire album in a single take. No, but Amazing. what do you? Amazing. <laughs> That's how great Blonde Fun on fact, Blonde is. ladies and gentlemen, that I just made up right now. <laughs> the entire album improvised in a single take by Bob Dylan. Incredible. Unbe- he plays all the instruments at once. All of them at once in a single take. In a single take. Didn't even written lyrics ahead of time. Take. 78 minutes of... <laughs> Jam improv. session like no other. No, but what he, what he would do... It actually was 81 minutes. The last song sucked, so he cut it. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, I'm still riffing on this whole theme. I apparently went one step too far. Uh, you, were, you, went, you went at least one step too far. <laughs> but that's what I love about you, Chaz. You're just on the edge, baby. Uh, okay, so he Wait, would... you love me? Oh. He would... I didn't say that. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't admit to that on this podcast. <clears throat> but I do love you, Chaz. Oh, You're my brother, geez. and I'll always be older than you. <laughs> and that is all. I don't care what anybody says, Jake. You're all right. Hey, all right. Uh, I'm sure I was saying something about this album. <laughs> I know you were talking about blah blah blah. Yes, that I was. Okay, so um, you had quoted him, and then I derailed us. So that. he would. Um, <laughs> that's the whole. Ep- that's the whole enterprise. <laughs> that is really yes. Or that could be a summation of the entire podcast. It's our calling card. It's our calling card, and it is wildly successful. <laughs> 
so he would he would retire to like a hotel room or another room in the studio and leave the musicians on the clock, and they could just like drink beer and play cards and do whatever they wanted while they were getting paid. And he would come. He would he would give the arrangements and the words to Al Cooper, who was uh, the the organist and multi instrumentalist who we've talked about many times. And Al Cooper would run down there with these arrangements and teach them to the musicians. And then Bob would come in, you know, after another like five or six hours or something, just all night or whatever. And he would just be like, okay, I'm ready to go. And he'd, he'd go and then they'd play. So there's not, there's not like a great many takes of these songs. And it seemed like he was, it was a little bit close to improvisation in that he was writing most of the songs like adjacent to the studio and then running in and recording them real quick, which is kind of incredible. Yeah, um, the musicians uh, the the back it are they they all deserve medals. They all deserve. If there was a bunch of you know not great musicians, I don't think this would have come off very well. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's let's move from Blonde on Blonde cuz I'll talk about it more. He released four singles, Jazz. Um, I, Bowie released four singles <laughs> in 1966. I know, but just the number of singles isn't impressive, Jake. Let's, why don't you start talking about what the singles are? All right, and, uh, okay, or, okay. Or, or, so I don't this, know if you're saving that for later. No, no, no. Is this what we'll And set? that might make it a little more impressive than Bowie in This will set them apart. <laughs> it's just that Dylan never releases four singles. This might be the most singles he's ever released. All right. One of us four must know... Four singles is the least Bowie has ever released in one year. <laughs> <laughs> the high is 92. <laughs> The low it was four. last year. <laughs> Two years after he died. It was this year already, I'm pretty sure. Uh, one of us must know, sooner or later, peaked at 119 on the Billboard charts, so that one didn't uh, that one didn't really make it. The next one, Rainy Day Women, number 12, and numbers 35. Uh, that's number two on the Billboard charts. Chaz, real humble. And everyone who listened to it was stoned. Everybody must get stoned. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the last song recorded on the album, actually. Uh, Bob was probably cracking up at that point. He wanted. He came in and he said, I would like a Salvation Army sound. And they started like becoming very stoned and playing trombones and stuff. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like it's recorded in like, a parking lot. As line. one does. Yells, yells. Uh, I Want You peaked at number 20. And Just Like a Woman at number 33 on the Billboard charts. Chaz, you won't believe this. Uh, Dylan got married in late 1965. Guess what? It was a secret. His first marriage was a secret. (laughs) His first marriage was a secret? His first marriage, which I didn't quite know. None of his friends in New York knew who Sarah Dylan, or Sarah Knowles was. He was just like, ever. So it was like, you know, he was seeing this lady and then they just didn't know that they actually got married. Yeah, correct. But they didn't really know who she was. Like, it would have been kind of like. I have a friend who eloped one time, but, you know, we all knew her because they've been dating for a couple years. Yeah, no, this was more like, wait a minute, you're married, and is it someone we know? Oh, not really? You got married to somebody we don't really know? Like, these are all his friends and stuff. Uh Uh, Also, some of his girlfriends at the time were a little taken aback by that, that he was married. (laughs) Whoops. They they thought they were dating him at the time? Yep, they thought that they were dating him. I don't know if they thought it was exclusive, but they were certainly uh, a little put out that he had gotten married. Uh Mm-hmm. Right. I, I can see. I can, see that. <laughs> can you see that? Yeah, can you see yeah. that? All right, Chaz, we're going to spend the rest of our time here talking about the 1966 World Tour. Just go ahead, rip it up. Judas! To... Judas! 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 Uh, I don't believe you. You're a liar. <laughs> 
that's going to be my response from now on every time you say Judas. Okay. All right, Chaz. Cool, cool. Uh, so he went out. This is one of the most famous tours in rock history. One of the most contentious. It was documented in the No Direct or not No Direction Home uh, Don't Look Back documentary. But it was only uh-huh. twenty four dates. Got the D A Pennebaker one. Yep. It was yeah. only it was only twenty four dates, but they were jam packed. I have a box set that contains uh, partial or complete shows from all twenty four dates of this tour. Woo-hoo! The complete nineteen sixty six live recordings. Woo-hoo! It's uh, it's amazing. So the music. Sounded. You ready for some? You ready for some words, Chaz? Uh, yeah, the I music. like words. Yeah. Oh, uh, words are he, popular in podcasts these days. He puts together. Uh, he puts together a group of musicians, for, previously known as the Hawks, and they were not quite the band yet. They were just Bob Dylan's band mm-hmm. at this point. But they okay. came with they him. They would become the Hawks later. Or become mm, the they would become later. the band later. They were previously the Hawks. Uh, okay. He he did a split show. He did one half of it acoustic with just him and a guitar and a harmonica, and the second half he brought out the band who were not quite the band yet, and he draped a huge ass American flag behind them in Britain <laughs> and just ripped it up with some very uh, some very controversial monstrous rock and roll. The music sounded stately, immense, majestic, compelling, dynamic, explosive, <laughs> violent, and powerful. Dylan himself was experiencing a bit of a crack-up. He was doing a ton of drugs, a ton of pills, and he literally didn't sleep, like, more than a few minutes every day. He would okay. take... He was just off his rocket. You know, I heard you can do that. It's crack cocaine. Yeah, well, unless... You, like, uh, another thing they can do it is, like, handfuls of amphetamines or whatever drugs... Are, <laughs> yeah, okay. Or LSD or whatever is lying around. It's not clear, like, all the drugs that he may have done, but... Uh, he did like all of them, but no downers. They didn't drink, so they, at least they had that going for them. Which was nice. <laughs> at least they were sober. That's uh, Dylan thing. was doing these very. We'll we'll do a Bob's Bula base about this sometime because it's 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 amazing. But uh, he was doing these very uh, coy, sly, witty interviews at these press conferences. He did a press conference uh-huh. ahead of every single show, and he had a whole bunch of reporters asking him dumb questions, and he would answer yeah. them in the most insane ways possible but also the most cutting and also the most like witty things that you could think of uh his mood chaz you ready for a lot more words yeah i came into this podcast knowing there would be words today Uh and i'm ready for them yeah and so this is meeting your expectations then for words wise yeah yeah Mm -hmm. all right i found all of these words in his autobiography or not autobiographies biographies to explain his behavior during this time okay go dark temptuous Unstable, irascible, peculiar, sleepless, imperious, conspiratorial, restless, moody. This is my favorite one coming up. Apocalyptically conceitful. (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean. mm -hmm. (laughs) Intense. I mean, yes, serious response. Mm -hmm. Pressured, hostile, dangerous, disturbing, sarcastic. And this is one I just added. Just plain mean to everyone. He was mean. Which is a hallmark of... He was mean. He was mean to all of his girlfriends. I don't know if he was mean to his now wife or if they were talking at all during this time. Um, It seemed that there was a lot of... uh, It seemed like... Now, you you can help me decide which which of these this this best describes. Is he the OG Uber Gen Xer or OG Uber Hipster? 
What does that sound like to you? You tell me. Uh, it's probably both. Mm. I feel like Gen Xers were... Who's meaner? Who's who's more cutting? Both of them? I know, because the Gen Xers, the whole, it's the whole slacker aesthetic, you know? Yeah, that's and true, the but they just... sarcasm and the irony and all that. But they were like, shut up, dad! Like, that, that's basically what he was doing to the entire world. Yeah, because the hipsters are all about, you know, some, like, misplaced authenticity, you know? Yeah. But Bob like was... back to an older time, which Bob also did, you know? But Bob was authentic. Like his old... At which that is, time. Well, that's what I'm saying, but he's, like, he's going for authenticity. But he's also being a sarcastic slacker. And he's not a slacker, that's not really No, hard. he was working extremely hard. That was part of the problem. But the irony and the sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know... And they're, like, not answering either. any question without irony. The answer to this question is, is he this or that? The answer, as always, is, he's Bob. He is Bob. He is Bob. He's just Bob. He's just... He just Bob. Okay, uh, there was a marked darkness surrounding his tour and the entire year in general. You'll, you'll remember it ends with him finally getting off the road temporarily and going to Woodstock to be with his wife. And yeah. uh, crashing his motorcycle, and then it all yeah, possibly on purpose, possibly on purpose, and also a dead hell's angel was transfigured into his body. Oh, I missed that part. No, you didn't miss that part. I told you all about it in his interview that he gave. Remember, he oh, said that yeah, he was okay. transfigured. All right, I I was vaguely listening at that point. Oh my gosh, Jesus! Uh, people were wondering if Dylan had intended to die during this period. The uh-huh. phrase "death trip" was thrown around quite a lot. He was cracking up and under an enormous amount of pressure, and apparently there was like an actual real danger surrounding this this whole thing. Like people people thought that he was going to die. Here's Phil Ox, who uh, is one of Dylan's rivals, but they were they were friends at that point. He says, okay. "There's something very dangerous, something very frightening about this whole thing now. Dylan is very disturbing. He gets up there." And sings great thoughts and great poetry to everybody. And when you say everybody, you mean also to neurotics, to immature people, to the lumpen proletariat, to people not in control of themselves. Dylan is forcing everybody to listen to him. The quality of his work is so good and so communicative. I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know if Dylan can get on the stage a year from now. I don't think so. I mean, the phenomenon of Dylan will be so much that it will be dangerous. He's gotten inside so many people's heads. Dylan has become part of so many people's psyches, and there's so many screwed up people in America, and death is such a part of the American scene now. Whoa. Whoa. That's dark, man. (laughs) That was a bad trip right there. (laughs) That's a real bad trip. So this got me thinking, (laughs) and I didn't make a list or anything, but, um, you know, I'll allow you to talk about Bowie for a minute. It seems like some of these guys at a certain point in their life or career will just, they seem to be, they'll go down that wormhole of almost dying and like seemingly sort of like doing it on purpose, but also creating incredible work at the same time. Uh, uh, which I mean, Bowie did more with his unbelievable cocaine addiction. Right. But like that but, was, you know, he was that right was down bad. there too. And while he was getting out of the cocaine, is when he released, you know, in my opinion, his best album. Okay. So once he got a little bit more, uh, lucid, he was on his way out. Yes. But like but it seems like, yeah, yeah. Would you say that he? Would you say that he embraced that time and that sort of like uh, that persona or whatever that out of control drug addict? Or was he was just that addicted to drugs and that's it? No, uh, I think on stage to stage, and he was like barely himself, you know. Yeah, and he was getting like wrapped up and confused in his own characters and stuff, and because he's so messed up on drugs, and he was there's some weird stuff from from that year that he was supposedly seeing, and he believed 
was it Jimmy Page they found out to kill him? I can't remember. <laughs> well, that was Somebody, true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was all kind of It's not story. paranoia. But you could also, you also bring the same perspective to Bowie's final album when he knew he was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And released his best album in, you know, over 30 years. Yeah. I mean, that makes a little bit more sense. Right. I'm just but thinking about it. I'm sure... Know, you see that in art all the time, these dark feelings, these really dark times, like, often bring out some really phenomenal work. Yeah, but there's also something about like make almost making a choice to to go down that road, knowing knowing full yeah. well that you could. Because how often are like people are just like in a good mood and they release you know the best album of their career? Not often. Like just feeling good, you know. I want to say I want to say never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that never happens, you know. Never. Yeah. Everyone's like just sunny and hey, I had my first kid. I'm releasing a new album, you guys. Hey. And I mean, people not that people haven't released good happy albums. They have. Absolutely. But how often does that happen? You go like, "This is a, a cultural milestone. It's the best album of their career." Right. Not very often. Everyone's just like, like you picture. Can you picture you know Tom York just picking up a guitar one day and being like, "Hey, sunshine, lollipops." <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And it being a good radio help album, you know, and being like everyone being like, "Oh, that's better than OK Computer." And can I combine? No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Here's an excellent example: is uh, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, my favorite. Uh, he started getting happy at the end of the of the nineties. And and then after really? Smashing Pumpkins, uh, he was in that band Zwan. Oh yeah, that's right. Which, Zwan. which, as far as I could tell, was Happy Smashing Pumpkins. That was his sound. <laughs> it was awful. It was so bad. Oh man, he never recovered from like not being depressed anymore. Yeah, and then he, <laughs> as far as I could tell. <laughs> and then he tried to make himself depressed again. I think. Which I mean, good for him for not being depressed. Like on a personal level, I'm glad he wasn't. But he just never, you know. No, well, after there's about a door. He never released an album really worth, you know. No, that's, that's true. Well, Billy not Corgan... A, an entire album, anyway. So Billy Corgan... I have a lot of thoughts on Billy Corgan, but we were, we're not going to share <laughs> those right now. Podcast. Uh, so at the same time that Dylan was doing this whole, like, dark death trip thing, he was also one of the three coolest people on the entire planet. Like he Who were the other two? Uh, let's see. So what is it, 66? I mean, you tell me. What, what, who's, who's cooler than Bob Dylan in 1966? Like, hipper. I don't know. On the, on Lou the Reed absolute isn't, Lou Reed isn't there yet. No, he's not there yet. That's not until 67. David Jones? Not really. Not quite. <laughs> he was Bowie in 66. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my apologies, Bowie. I'm thinking, like, so... Yeah, it's hard to think. I can't think of you know, I can't think of it. Like, uh, any actors, any actresses, like James I'm Dean, sure Long Gone, Marlon, Marlon Brando. Twiggy, cool. <laughs> Twiggy's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Twiggy and Bob, are they an item? Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I Bob's I wearing these, like, he's wearing these, like, checkered or uh, polka dot blouses, like this whole European yeah. thing. He's wearing some high water pants. He's wearing these, like, wool suits when he plays... Uh, these long coats and his hair is as frizzy and out there as it can be. It is at an <laughs> all time, all time high. It's out there, baby, and it's loving it, and I'm loving it. Um, I think I'm gonna let you. Do you want to play? Do you want to play my little desert island game now, or wait for points? I didn't do the desert island game. I'll That's be fine. honest with you, Jay. I'm gonna make you play it with me. I tried. I wanted to, but I couldn't do it. Well. James Dean in 1966, by the way. I'm going to throw that one out there. Well, Just James thinking. Dean was long gone, though. Was he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I was thinking no. I mean, he was Who cool in the of? minds of others. Like, he Brando? Was. Brando? Brando was not as Brando was cool. around 66. I was thinking of, though. I, I cannot... Like, I've got this clear vision of somebody who was super cool in 1966. Super film. I 
can't. I just can't get up. Yeah, an actor. I can't come up with a name right now. It's gonna say. I mean, one of the at some point. Maybe throw it out there. Maybe John Lennon. One of the the, the coolest. Yeah. Because they re-released Revolver that year. That was really yeah. cool. Yeah, they were pretty cool. Brian Wilson right. was too frumpy to be cool, I guess. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do some let's do some bit boy. All right, go Bowie. Go <laughs> Bowie. David Bowie, unlike Dylan, somehow managed to not release one of the greatest albums of all time. Man, you know what, Bowie? Why don't you get it together? That didn't release an album at all. He had not released an album yet at that point. Mm-hmm. So Bowie again, young Bowie. But we spent many, unlike Bob, spent many years in the wilderness. Yeah. And his first single was released in 64. He didn't do anything that anybody really cares about in 1969 when he released Space Ivy. Yep. But he really started out not as, like, not seeming to be a solo artist. He was, he was going to be in a band. He was going to be the Beatles or the Who or, you know, somebody like that. And it was trying to rip all of them off. It wasn't until later. And, and so 66 marks the transition year in which he kind of went from being a band guy to working at being a solo artist. Okay. Don't... Um, when did he name himself Bowie? Was it this year? Bowie's late. It was late '65. Okay, got it. So he was six, he was Bowie for all of '66. A whole year um, of Bowie. The whole year of Bowie. It's the first full year of Bowie. Nice. So early on, he had like a million different bands. By '66, he really only has two bands, and like he began the year with the band The Lower Third, and this was still like a band where he was. He was in the band The Lower Third. It wasn't like David Bowie and The Lower Third. It was you know. Okay. He was in The Lower Third. Um, they kind of like, although no, I don't remember actually, no, I'm thinking about it because he released his, uh, his first solo single was in 1966 and that was recorded with the lower third. So he's moving out of them. What was he playing? They were gone early. They, they were getting mad though. Cause, uh, with this single, it was becoming all about Bowie. Like he was yeah. clear characteristic. Your, uh, he was clearly, what am I trying to say? Blah. Charismatic and, you know, likable. And he was getting a little bit of a cult following around London, um, all that stuff. So they kind of got pissed, pissed about it, and sure. they broke up. And before Bowie's single came out, so he was in the weird position of having a single come out but not having a band, so he couldn't <laughs> sail. Mm-hmm. So he had to cobble together, throw together this band really quick. The band was called The Buzz, but with his new band, he wow, was right away. Was it was straight up. It was, was not like Bowie was a member of The Buzz. It was Bowie and The Buzz. You know, this was very clear. He was a solo artist at this point. Got it. So they were definitely a backing band. So I got a multiple choice question for you, Jake. I'm ready. Uh, Bowie worked with the band The Buzz, and he gave them all stupid nicknames. <laughs> Including the name The Buzz, which is awful. Which of the following is not an actual nickname from the band? Not an actual <gasps> nickname. Not. Now, right. is not an actual nickname. Okay, I'm listening. Chow. <laughs> yeah. Punch. Deck. Ego. Oh, no. Goose. Oh, come on. Or Haggis. Haggis? Like the disgusting not, blood sausage Which was thing? not an actual nickname from a member of the band. Name them again. Chow. Uh-huh. Hutch. Deck. Ego. Goose. And Haggis. I'm going to go with Goose. That's correct. Whoa! Hey, and everyone knows Goose is the nickname of the lovable but tragic member of the Air Force in Top Gun. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hey, I'd say in our relationship, I'm definitely Maverick, and you're definitely Goose. Just you know. I no. I will be sad no. when you your thing doesn't deploy and you die in the ocean. I'll and so, at the very least, Jake, you're Maverick, and I'm Iceman. Can we at least go that far? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Can we at least play sweaty homoerotic volleyball on the beach? No. Oh, 
Oh, I thought I thought you were going to say yes to that. I I apologize. <laughs> Sorry, adding incest into all of that is just too much. It's not incest, it's just brotherly homoeroticism. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay. it's perfectly fine. Hutch is one of the members. We've mentioned Hutch before because Hutch comes back later on. Yes, Hutch. Hutch is the only one that I knew. And then he goes like go home, goes home to his wife and son somewhere other than London. Come on, but then later on he comes back and actually is with Bowie for late '68 and early '69. And they were when they were working on being like a Simon and Garfunkel style folk band, <laughs> and so he is on a lot of the early recordings of Space Oddity. Chaz, can you do me a favor sometime? You need yeah. to do like a a, a bolia bass sometime. Can you just can you just list all of the different genres and things that he tried to do musically? <laughs> it is yeah, hilarious. I want to find a really quiet year. I'll it's just go. hilarious. Let's go. <laughs> I want to. I want I just want to hear them in order. That sounds. <laughs> The, that would well, we're in 1966. He's mostly being a mod, but he's transitioning into being like the dancehall Anthony Newley style, which I'll talk more about when we get into <laughs> right. the uh, points. Yeah, all that. <laughs> so the Buzz, they're you know they're doing a lot of shows around London. They're just they're straight gigging, Jake. Just they're, straight they're, gigging. They're, they're they're creating a lot of buzz in London. I gotta say, straight gigging. Straight gigging, baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so with the Buzz, what? Unorthodox vehicle that the Buzz use is their tour bus. Okay. So this is the second multiple choice. Actually, cramming three <laughs> I love multiple this. choice questions in this like 10 minute long. I love it when you have nothing to talk about. This is great. All right. Go All right. On. A Hearst. Okay. An ambulance. Uh huh. A fire truck. Motorcycles with sidecars for uh-huh. the equipment. Oh, those are the choices? Those are the choices. All right. I think it's a Hearst. Ah, is an ambulance. Oh. An old ambulance. And at one point, the ambulance was almost tipped over because uh, somebody believed that they were the Beatles for some reason. Well, they thought <laughs> I'm they not thought sure what <laughs> Beatle mania. But they were mobbed by fans. I think it was the Beatles. I'm forgetting who it was. I'm pretty sure it was the Beatles. It they were mobbed be. by fans who believed that they were the Beatles. It had to be and the And the band was almost tipped over, or the ambulance, but it was, but it was not. And then, because then they figured out it wasn't the and Beatles. And then Bowie <laughs> sticks his head out, and he's like, Oh, we're the buzz. Hey, guys. <laughs> we're the buzz. We're the buzz. <laughs> Will you please tip over our ambulance, please? <laughs> <laughs> we're the buzz. Uh, it apparently broke down at its, um, you know, not London town, and they just had to abandon it, it sounds like. So in '66, Bowie got <laughs> it a, sits there to like this big, day. His big record label. He started recording his first album, which didn't come out until '67. Okay. Um, but uh, and a lot of that is related to I got to mention Kenneth Pitt, who was Bowie's mm. first serious real manager and a great supporter of him for years, and made a lot of the stuff happen. Thanks, like Bowie's career was kind of going nowhere, and he was burning through stuff and nothing was going anywhere, and he'd get singles and then go nothing. And, and Pitt is the one that really like launched him into doing anything serious and got him the first. Uh, record label for the actual album and all that stuff. So, all right, I got. I'm almost done because really, I'm almost done. <laughs> Fantastic. But again, Jake, well, he played 116 shows in 1966. Dang, that's Dylan like. I know. So this may be the first year ever in which wow. Bowie played more shows than Dylan by a great. And they just demolished him. Just walled now. Up. What a, now? What about impact on the world stage? Do you think that he? Do you think that he, uh, he defeated well, Bob Dylan? I think I, I think the jury's still out on that one, Jake. Honestly, I think time will tell. It's only been <laughs> time will tell. It's only been fifty-four years or whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, he played one hundred and sixteen shows because again, he was he was straight gigging. He was just gigging it. <laughs> straight gigging. Um, you know, they're almost all in the Greater London area. Sure. So I have one final multiple choice question for you, Jake. All right. Which of the following nutty thing did not occur? 
at shows in 1966. Did not occur at shows. Okay, I'm ready. Yes. Uh, multiple dates with two shows in one day. Okay. Bowie's Showboat Gig is sponsored by Radio London. Bowie's Showboat Gig. Okay. Sponsored by Radio London. All right. Uh, somebody's private 21st birthday party. Okay. A date in which Bowie went off to a solo show and left the backing band to perform by themselves. <laughs> uh-huh. A date in which Bowie and the band uh, refused to play after being told immediately beforehand that they weren't getting paid. Okay. Or multiple dates in which Bowie's new band was erroneously credited as his former one. Which of those did not happen? Did not happen. Uh, private 21st birthday party. Yeah, I know I lied. They all happened. You're such a jerk. I know, that's a trick question. They all, they all happen. All those things happen. Yeah, but we had these, so yes, multiple dates with two shows in one day where they did a matinee yeah. and they did a night show. I think that was pretty standard. I think it was pretty standard. For up and band. For up and just, who's, who's just straight gigging. <laughs> yeah, as we mentioned. I can't make this a thing for some reason. I don't really know why, but I, I would do it. Yeah, you uh, go for it, man. He had this Bowie showboat gig sponsored by Radio London. He was like, had enough of a little following around London. There was a lot of, you know, buzz around him. Yeah, the buzz, uh, So I really. found the only kind of, like, audio or video clip I could find from 66 at all was part of this, one of these Radio London gigs. And so it was a song, but he also does a short interview in which he mentions he's working on a musical. As we mentioned Shock. last time, that his, his first and only musical would not be released until 2015. <laughs> but he was working on one. In hey, yeah, January, well, like, we real. all we all were. It was kind of a collective. You know, yes, they did play a private 21st birthday party. Right. Uh, what else? Yes, they were told immediately beforehand they weren't getting paid, and apparently, but we cried. But they didn't play. They didn't. Uh, they didn't do it. They didn't play it, no. No, but Bowie, Bowie cried. Bowie had a tears of tears it was, of, it tears was, of shame. It was mentioned in there, you know, notably, that he, he cried. Did, a bunch, so, of, did a bunch of girls just, like, swarm around him and like, oh, it's okay. No, they were backstage trying to get paid for the gig that they were supposed to be doing and decided not to do. Well, I figure there's girls everywhere. And my favorite is that Bowie, like, sent off the band to perform a show without him while he did a solo <laughs> show. <laughs> so apparently, like, the guitar player even just took that. lead vocals and it didn't go so well. And then, you know, he, like, kind of, they didn't like the direction he was going later on with his music, and so they just kind of uh, went off on their own and failed pretty much immediately. So the buzz just didn't didn't happen. The buzz didn't get a lot of buzz, is what happened. No, no, no. Not without Bowie. They couldn't, they couldn't pull it. I just think it's great. Bowie, one of, one of the, uh, the things I admire about his career that, that Dylan really didn't have for longer than, like, a year, I guess, when he was unknown and he was trying to become known. It seems uh-huh. like it seems like Bowie had this really like early twenties sort of bar band experience. No, well, late teens, you know, late he's still, teens, early twenties, you know, like a million. I mean, he's still only ni- he's, he's still only nineteen and sixty six. That's crazy. I know. Wow. I mean, his first single was released when he was seventeen. I guess both of our fellows did start young. Yeah, we could say yeah, that for them. Yeah, and Bowie tried. I mean, those years, while well, you know unfruitful or entertaining there's a lot oh, of very lot of choice anecdotes oh it's great all the crazy stuff he was doing while he was trying desperately to become famous for five years yeah but Before then it uh, it's just it's just too bad it never happened for him you know <laughs> you know he's never <laughs> he's just now he just died alone and unknown <laughs> i've been hey. working for 45 years as an electrician you know thanks for doing this podcast about him and bringing this whole <laughs> real underground real but underground the history of what would have been had he Held it off for six more months. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I have a lot of respect <laughs> for you right now, Jess. 
you're really doing it. You're really doing a doing the world a favor, I think. <laughs> Just an endless succession of flopped singles forever. <laughs> forever. Forever and ever. All right, Jake. All right, let's, uh, let's get some points rolling. All right. So before next. we do that, I'm just going to make you play one arm of my Desert Island game because I actually thought about it. You know, my I put a little bit of my. I- a little bit of my yeah, heart you, into you it. You can do this. I'm gonna say I did think about it, and I decided I couldn't do it. I'll only I'll only it. make you do one because I'm only I'm only certain about one that that is fun okay. to talk about. So obviously, so the Desert Island game is you pretend that you're sent to a desert island, and you can only bring one album or one book or whatever, and you have to yeah. choose. You just absolutely have to choose which one will you want to listen to for the rest of your life. And this is yeah. of course assuming that the Desert Island has like a nice hi-fi. It's got some like. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> it's got some sweet... It has electricity, but only for the hi-fi. It's got Nothing some else. sweet speaks, some sweet receivers, <laughs> just like... All you gotta do for the rest of your life is like... Eat, big, a big fat bass. Yeah. Some, 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 some solid, some some solid subwoofers. Yeah. And uh, so all you're gonna do for the rest of your life is eat coconuts and listen to one album. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay, so clearly my choice would be Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. I've already... Yeah. It's a yeah. double album. There's like plenty there to choose. on. you made that clear. Yeah, I made yeah. that very clear. Um, so if if I got to bring two albums, Chaz, I want you to guess which one of these following albums I would bring. Okay, okay. okay. This is my second... I, I don't even know if it's my second favorite album of all time, but it's the one I would want to listen to forever. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> A, Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and The Infinite Sadness, speaking of Billy okay. Corgan. B, okay. Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Okay. C, R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People. D. Kay. Nico Case's Fox Confessor Brings the Flood. Okay. E. Led Zeppelin's Four. Or Zozo. And it's F. Tough cause I, oh, you got another one? I guess you one more. F is uh, Beatles Abbey Road. Okay. That's my favorite. It's tough because I know you love all his albums. Oh, I love them to death. But you got to right. think, like, what. You know, I'm, I'm going to go. I am, I'm thinking this. I'm going to go with. Because we're playing Desert Island game again. I, I when you suggested this, I did give it a lot of thought. It's okay. kind of wet. I can't. I can't do it. Can't pull it off. Like oh, that. Not with only one. Because the thing about the Desert Island game, it's not just a what is your favorite album. Right. It's not. And you just said that too. It's thinking about in terms of Desert Island and this experience of being stuck on an island with only one album. So ideally, you would want something with it's long. You would want long, and, and you would also want. And you want something that's stylistically very different. So you have a lot of different yes. things to choose from for different modes. Like and for with instance, that in mind, I'm going to go with Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy Band. You're totally right. That's exactly what I would do. All right. Cheers. Okay. My third choice, I think, even though it's one of the shortest albums that I love to death, is uh, Nico Case's Fox Confessor Brings the Flood. I mean, I know you absolutely love it. I album. can't stop listening to it for yeah. years. It's so good. But Melancholy, like. It's just so ridiculously long. Like, the overwroughtness mm-hmm. actually helps in this case. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the duds, like, you know. I guess there's some, there's some duds on there. Oh, absolutely. Not a lot, but there's a couple. By design, I would imagine. But, again, it's like 28 tracks long. I mean, the thing is, you know, over two hours. Because I think what you need is the opportunity to discover things in the songs that you didn't know were there before. Right. Like, to be delighted by something like... Right. There's like 48 tracks on a couple of those songs, like some guitar part uh-huh. way in the back of the mix that he, oh, yeah. you know, right. that, you he like, that, up that he like punched James Iha right in the face and he's like, I'll do that, you know, <laughs> get out of here, James. Well, <laughs> or they went home for the day and he just stayed all night and recorded <laughs> exactly. right all their parts. <laughs> exactly. I think that um, was more on, uh, 
Siamese Dream, but yeah. Yeah, he did. Re- he he even did the bass parts on Siamese Dream. Yeah, he did. Okay, let's do points. All right. All right, we'll just blonde on blonde. I already explained it. It um, it has uh, five points done. Five point. It's oh. a five pointer. Um, it has. I just want to mention the you know non singles that are like among the best Bob Dylan songs ever. Visions of Johanna is one. Stuck inside yep. a mobile with the Memphis yeah. Blues again. Uh, fourth time around. We've talked about that song before. It's just. It's delightful, Chaz. I could listen to it. It is delightful all it day is. long. It closes with. Um, Oh my gosh! Sad-eyed ladies of the lowlands, which he wrote in one day. That's the. It's like eleven minutes, I think. Twelve minutes. It's an entire side of a record. It's the last side of the record. It's a double okay. double LP. He wrote it, and they did it in one take. Thankfully for everyone involved. They just <laughs> everyone was too tired to do it again. Yeah, everyone's too t- <laughs> too tired. It was something like you know, just keep going until it's clear that he's going to stop because he's going to do like eight verses or something. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's just cool. It's the coolest. It's the coolest album. It's Bob Dylan's best album. Uh, it's a plus five. Okay, singles. One of us must know. Uh, parentheses sooner or later is a really great performance. It didn't chart very well, but it's a very good song. So I'm giving that a plus one. Rainy okay. Day Women yeah. number twelve and thirty five. Oh, let me do. I want you first. I want you. Good song. Uh, plus one. Rainy Day Women number twelve and thirty five and just like a woman. I had texted you and asked you if oh, yeah, of these, the did you did you give any thought to yeah, this? Yeah, I'm alright I'm all right with it, yeah. Yeah. But Go. with both of them being plus two? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I think so too. Okay, so Rainy Day Women is plus two. It's one of Bob Dylan's biggest hits ever. It caused On me- very rare occasions, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah, let singles be we've only done it once before, and that was Space Out of It's the right. only other time we've done this. Right. Of all of the albums that we've talked about. Yes. Yes. That's because really Dylan probably doesn't have any singles outside of the '60s that are going to qualify, and Bowie doesn't have any outside of the '70s that are going yeah, to qualify. Yeah, late '60s. But you know. I don't know what his release schedule. There's maybe like maybe ten of these for the whole run of the maybe, uh, podcast. Maybe Blood on the Tracks might have a single from there. That yeah, might qualify. have one there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's plus two for Rainy Day Women. It was a huge controversy because he's just screaming, "Everybody must get stoned" over and over again in 1966. <laughs> Like it? <laughs> Wait, people had a thought about that. Uh, he tried to he tried to say that it was like because it's called Rainy Day Women. It was about these girls, you know, that stone you or something like that. Anyway, I told you when you try to be so good. <laughs> Don't you just like this in the wood? I mean, this, obviously, he's not just talking about drugs. No, like no, you know. no. And it's kind of reductive to just say like, oh, he's just talking about pot, but. Uh, you know, because oh, it's talking about, I mean, like you know, the ancient practice of stoning people. Correct. Like, Correct. Throwing stones at them until they're dead. And like, I think he was also talking about women. Too. You know, they mess you up, man. Don't even uh, they stone you when you're trying to take a bus? I guess. <laughs> and then, uh, just like a woman is, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a classic. It's an all-time classic. One of his one of his most famous songs. I, I gotta tell you that the, the, the uh, super super breathy Charlotte Gainsbourg version is on spot in my head right now. Please don't. Please don't. Not the original Bob version for some reason. And she takes just, just like a woman. Like a woman. And she makes. Yes, she does. With that said, I really I really like uh, at least one of Charlotte Gainsbourg's solo albums. Is really, uh, really I love IRM. IRM is a really good. IRM is a dope album. No doubt yeah. about it. And she's not very yeah. breathy on it, which I think is correlated. No, that helps. 
Uh, some killer killer drums on that one. That's not yet. That one's great. It is great. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, his tour, 1966, uh, European tour, plus one. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was amazingly contentious and uh, very, very controversial when it was happening, and it was kind of like world news when it was going on, and everyone was screaming at him. There's a great Shut little... Shut up! I don't believe you. You're a liar. <laughs> Play effing loud! Uh... So, Chaz, I will have to add up my points here. It's gonna be it's gonna be a doozy. Let's see. <laughs> hey, Jake. I mean, don't you know you haven't heard yet from Bowie yet? Still <laughs> I understand. I'm anybody's holding... game here, Jake. I'm holding on to my fingernails here. <laughs> I promise. No, you don't. We don't know yet. We All right, five, know, six, eight, nine, eleven. A plus twelve point zero for you, sir. Man. For me. Yeah, for I mean, any Most... game. Any game. <laughs> so could your you have four singles to talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could they could they score three points each to, to tie it up? Well, I had suggested earlier that they might be ten points each, so <laughs> did I reject that? I feel like I did. <laughs> um, I can't remember, so I'm gonna assume that you did not. <laughs> okay, well go ahead. We'll see how the council <laughs> we'll see you. All right, so Bowie. Yeah, yeah. yeah go. Stylus musically, you know, we talked more about what he was up to. Musically, he's moving between, uh, yeah, he's like moving in from his second to his third musical period already in 1966. Yeah. He started out um, doing more like Stone Style R&B, then moved into more of a mod rock. So most of this year is more of a mod rock style in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a little psychedelic to it. Definitely some, uh, some Sid Barrett influence in there, who was also, you know, digging around. He, he was just gigging around. Uh, he was cool. He was semi-cool in 66. No, he was cool in 66. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Andy Warhol, was he really cool in 66? Yeah, Hip? he was pretty cool. He was cool in 66. Yeah, he was. Anyway, well, he's got four singles. The first one is Can't Help Thinking About Me, which is notably the first song credited to just David Bowie. Ooh, way to go. This other one's credited to him and a band he was in, or just the band or whatever. That's the first one that's just David Bowie on the label, nobody else. Uh, Can't Help Thinking About Me, it's kind of a catchy little tune. I'm giving it a half a point. Great. So, there you go. Next up is Do Anything You Say, uh, which is right in the same vein. It's kind of forgettable. It's not a bad song. It's kind of a forgettable song. I'm giving it zero points. Okay. Uh, after that is I Dig Everything, which <laughs> would be a good name for a box set collecting his early years. You know, there you I'm go. Just it out there. I Dig Everything, Saucy. because you just collect everything up to, you know, Space Oddity in one. Handy package, but they haven't done that yet because it's owned by like four different companies. Right, right. He doesn't right. own everything pre sixty nine. So that's a mess. Uh, that's that's a catchy little tune too. I'm right with that one. Um, that's a, that's a point five also. Great. And then finally, he was transitioning over to what his solo album in sixty seven would be, which is kind of this dance hall Anthony Newley. Uh, we mentioned it sounding kind of like the Kinks. They're, they're kind of like story sound type things, sure. or uh, talking about the like uh, for the benefit of Mister Kite style, something like that. Yeah. So he's, he's transitioned to that late in the year, and the first single for that album comes out at the end of the year. It's called Rubber Band. Uh, <laughs> it's forgettable. It's not a bad song. You know, Laughing Gnome isn't until early 67. That, oh, that's bad. Thank goodness. But this one's not bad. It's just kind of forgettable. So that would also have zero points. So, Jake, okay. I see your 12 points, and <laughs> yeah. I'm coming at you with a with one. So add a couple zeros. <clears throat> add a couple so zeros to that. So plus 100. Plus 100. 
plus 100. Hey, that's not a bad year, plus 100. <laughs> 100, not too shabby. Not yeah. too shabby. <clears throat> so, I feel like this is the the analogy for this year, except in reverse, is probably going to be like 1972, because that's Ziggy. And Dylan didn't, oh, yeah. Dylan didn't do anything, so it's just going to be a, <laughs> uh-huh. it's just going to be a stomp down. Yeah, well, it happens sometimes. It does happen. It's sometimes. okay. It's okay. You know, it's all right. What did you score? Is your biggest year nineteen eighty three? Bowie's that is. Uh, well, it's eighty three or seventy six. Let me go back here and take a look. Oh yeah, that's right. seventy six. Although we were still figuring things out at the time because that was one of our first. Yeah, episodes. I still that think was we... that was eleven pointer with sixty oh, seventy six. Yeah. Right. Although if we went back, if we did it again, it probably would have gone like a point or two lower because we just kind of changed up how we did things a little bit right but not not drastically um, not drastically uh 83 is 9.5 oh, so right. this might this really is probably the biggest year we've this is the biggest so year so far there's going to be i think there's going to be some bigger ones obviously well I, I i mean we have not done what we believe to be our gentleman's biggest no. years we're saving those for later on we won't say what they are no although i think those, i think dylan, those are going to be monsters i think dylan dylan fans are can guess now if it's not yeah, 66, well, yeah. what else What else could it be? Yeah. Uh, yeah 2019. We have, two, have two solid choices of, of what they might think are the biggest year, but we'll figure it out. All right, well, that ends things at a entirely reasonable time frame for today. It's under an I hour. I think we're shade under an hour here. It yeah? is, yeah, 56 minutes Ooh, as we speak. Wow. I've done that in a while. Uh, next time, we're going to be looking at the boring year of 2009. Yes. So... Uh, Bringing that there right in there to another, you know, probably one of the greatest drag albums of all time was released in 2009. Also, right, Jake? By one of our two guys. Uh, not, right? not, not for me. I don't no. know about oh, yeah. what Bowie, Bowie, uh, Bowie, Bowie. That uh, was deep in the uh, Davecation where he released nothing. Yeah. So okay, there might be, there could be a bootleg series or something like that. We'll have to find out. So guys. Bowie's gonna somehow get 13 points that year <laughs> and just demolish. Just show demolish. him. Just show him up. Just the Shut next up. episode later. Well, we might have some interesting uh, bula bases and bolia bases to talk about then. Bolia bases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like just holding on here and uh, chatting about nothing until we reach an hour. What about what about you? Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to get off here and do some crack cooking. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to The Cure, finally. Go listen to The Cure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's Minnesota. Minnesota got it at least four years Have you heard this song, uh, Friday I'm in Love? That sounds like a good one. Friday I'm in Love? Yeah. As I, Monday's black and Tuesday's cool. Wednesday's gray and Thursday's a fool. Or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with that completely inaccurate rendering of Friday I'm in Love. Uh-huh. I'm Charlie and I like Bowie. I'm Jake and I love Dylan, especially in 1966. So long, Suckers! Suckers.